Hey friends, welcome to the Bridge Podcast, a podcast all about building bridges between parenting and faith. The goal? To encourage and equip parents to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And now, your host, Cody Monkman. Hey friends, welcome to episode three of the Bridge Podcast. I am here with Beth Wickenhauser. Beth is a professional educator, uh, specifically in education administration uh, at this point in her career. And Beth and I are talking about the power of creative dreaming for kids. And uh, more specifically, uh, talking about reading and why it's important to read with your children, uh, no matter what age they're at, and kind of how that uh, plays a part in their development as individuals. Uh, But also we're gonna look at and talk about how the Christian faith can be interwoven into parenting practices and uh, with what you read to your children. So, uh, Beth, welcome. Well, thank you, Cody. Really glad that you were able to meet with me after school today. So, um, and I'm glad to hear your day at school uh, went well. Yes, very well. Well, I want to kind of start our conversation off with my standard first question. Um, tell, well, I guess not really a question, but tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, um, where you're from, why you chose education. Just kind of give us an insight glimpse into who Beth is. Okay. Um, I currently, as you had said, am in public school education administration. I have always been in the public school field um, going on about 32 years now. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Cool. Long time. Um, I So I have seen all the ebbs and flows of education, which is nice to kind of live through a lot of things. But um, I currently have, um, I am married, and we have one daughter that is going to be 20 in about three days. Um, And so just, you know, a nice little family and... Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, very typical kind of Midwestern life, I guess. So you're from the Midwest? Yes, okay. I'm from, yeah, I'm from here, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was you're born from here. I was born, yeah. Born okay. to do it cool. here, you bet. Yeah. And kind of went around and came back. So What about your husband, Jay? He is from DeWitt County from also. Yeah. Cool. And my daughter's lived here her whole life, so, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess we're, um, Did you always want to do education? I have always wanted to do education, and I think it kind of goes back a little bit to your topic of dreaming. Um, I was one of those children that, given the opportunity to creatively play, I played school. Mm -hmm. I played school with my friends. I played school with my stuffed animals. I played school with my Barbie dolls. If I was playing, it was had some element of school in it. So um, I just think that's who I was meant to be, and just kind of went with that it just seemed like the thing I was one of those people who was very lucky that was like what do you want to be in your group well, I'm going to be a teacher and, and then I did and then here I still am 30 years later <laughs> so I'm doing where'd you go to school so, um, I went to school I did my um, my college work at East Texas State in Commerce Texas wow which is currently now a branch of Texas A&M um, I was raised actually born here raised in Missouri my parents moved to Texas my freshman year of college. So I did all of my um, bachelor's and master's work there. And then in that process, um, my dad lived up here and I came back one year at Thanksgiving to visit him and met my husband and came back. So when you when you started in your teaching in the mm-hmm. teaching field, were you a teacher in Texas? Yes. And then you came to Illinois mm-hmm. and became a teacher in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What grades did you teach? Um, I've always taught special ed. I've always taught um, high needs special ed students, um, kids that, you know, just learned very differently than anyone And now you're in education administration. How long have you been doing that? Oh, seven years. Okay. In this position, yeah. With a total of 32 years in the education field. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. So, um... Reading has reading always been a passion of yours. Absolutely, um, and I think it's because we lived in the country the entire time I was growing up. So you know there weren't a lot of neighbors around, and when you're little, you don't have a car to go get your friends. Uh-huh. So when and and those were back in the days when you got three 
television stations. One of them was snow, one of them was the news, and the other one might be something you wanted to see two hours a week maybe. So we read a lot just because that exposed us to a world that we couldn't access yeah, any yeah. other way. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, all these great now, growing up, things. Okay, growing up in the country, mm-hmm. uh, what did that do with your uh, your faith background and your right. family and, and all that? Right. We went to, um, most of my years growing up, we went to a very small rural church. Okay. About 70 people. That was a good Sunday. Rock on. Yeah. All right. Um, but we stayed there through my high school years and that, you know, five or six group core kids that were my age, we kind of all grew up together okay. um, and, and moved through our teenage years together, which I think was a good thing because we felt very safe and we didn't really understand that maybe our worldview was different than a whole lot of other people's mm-hmm. because we were together a lot. And you know, helped each other through a lot of things. And, yeah. And, but we, you know, we always we did mission trips. We didn't know that was work. We thought that was like your vacation because you were with all your best <laughs> friends. We were like, well, why yeah. wouldn't we go? You yeah. know, off far away and do something because it was social and it was fun. So you've been a Christian most of your life, you would I, say, or I don't ever remember not being okay. in the church. Okay. Yeah, I'm one of those people that I do not have this great that story. Okay. I just I can remember being tiny and sitting in the pews and just you know looking at all the ladies necklaces and, mm-hmm. and listening to the music and my grandmother brought us to church and my mom brought us to There's church some deep and, roots there. and we were just always and even at times when um, my sister and I were teenagers and my mom was kind of struggling with some things and wasn't going to church as much we went we went to church we went to youth group we always have just been so is there, there. what when you think of how you have matured as a Christian woman, yes. is there a name that pops into your head as someone who really invested in you or you would say mm-hmm. uh, had a, a, um, a huge presence in your right. Christian we, life? We had um, some youth group leaders that were um, dead children our age, and um, we called them mom and dad. And they had four kids of their own, and then they did everything with our youth group. I know I, they probably are still doing it today. That's just the kind of people they are. And they would take, you know, 13, 14, 15 of us kids. We would go on canoeing trips. and we would I mean, things that necessarily weren't always church-related. Mm-hmm. And they highly invested in us and made sure that, you know, we were doing good things with our time. And they, you know, would talk to us about school, and they wanted us all to go to college and you know, to the point that they were willing to pay for that if someone didn't have the money to do it. So it sounds like they unintentionally taught you that they their relationship with you wasn't bound to a church right. program. Right. Or, I mean, they genuinely cared they about all their facets entire of life. life. Right. They modeled their entire oh, life. Awesome. It was it's fabulous. Give us Absolutely their first fabulous. names. Um, Dale and Mary Lou. Dale and Mary Lou. Yeah. Dale and Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. Helped Mrs. Wickenhauser yes, in her have, early yeah. years. So, um, did your Christian faith play a role into you choosing education or mm. or what teaching looked like for you? You know, I think it probably did some because you have those values of the value of children, number one, and what a gift they are um, and wanting to help that Mm -hmm. Um, and especially going into the field of special education a lot of people at that time it was in the very early years of it and wow some of those children were not looked upon real favorably Mm -hmm. and so I thought you know I always just thought my sister tells the story that years and years ago there um, in a town over not far from us was a um, development center where they would institutionalize people Mm who had mental handicaps and physical handicaps. And my grandmother worked there when we were small. And we went over with my grandfather one day to pick her up. And now I think back on it and think I can't imagine how horrific of a place that must have been. And my sister was petrified of the place and didn't want to go in. And she said, I looked over and there you were just reaching through the little bars on their mm. on their beds and things, you know, because you don't want to roll in. They had to be safe right, and, right. It, you know, so, and she said, you just couldn't wait to get at those kids. It was just, I guess, mm. who God made me to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about uh, your lo- you, you love reading. Mm-hmm. You're in education. Mm-hmm. I got to admit, 
Um, I did not fall in love with reading until mm-hmm. later on in okay. life. Um, college forced me in a way. <laughs> sure. Um, but actually, reading the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan, um, when I was kind of going through my, my own personal mm-hmm. faith journey when I was in high school, that's how I fell in love with okay. reading and seeing the power of reading. Good. Um, but I don't have I don't have a memory of checking out a book mm-hmm. from my high school okay. library. Wow. So I mean I wow. love reading yeah. now. I love mm-hmm. reading now, but yeah. I did not always have that love. Yeah. We spent summers. All of my summer memories have to do with the summer library program, whatever town we lived in. Yeah. I was always involved in that. So tell me, um, tell us. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an educator, what are you personally reading right now? Okay, personally reading right now, um, I had just finished a book that is called Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids and How to Break the Trance. It is written by a man by the name of Nicholas Carteris. I hope I said his it's name right. It's Glo- called Glow Kids? Glow Kids, okay. and it is about um, screens, electronic devices, whether it be your phone, oh, wow, tablets, yeah. gaming systems, all those kinds of things. Um, and the impact that they are having neurologically on our brains because human beings were not really designed Mm -hmm. to attend to a screen for hours and hours a day and so the human brain is much more um, physical and concrete and and nature and those kinds of things and so this he's written this wonderful book it's very in-depth not an easy read. You have to read it and think about it and read it and think about it. Lots of research to back it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But he does talk about how technology can be a fabulous tool. It can be one of the best things that's out there. It can also become an addiction for children and adults. Mm -hmm. Um, Women tend to become more addicted to Facebook and Twitter and the social kinds of things. The men tend to become more addicted to the gaming systems. And the kids have a tendency to kind of whatever... They kind of will do both. Interesting. So very good book. You know, if anybody's interested in that, I would check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Any other books? Any like um, maybe non or fi- yes. not nonfiction? I always fiction. try to balance um, fiction and nonfiction because I love to read and I love to read for fun. So um, reading Beth Moore's new novel, The Undoing of St. Sylvanus, which is um, a little bit of a quirky. It takes place in New Orleans. It's about a family that kind of has some major problems and then as life happens um their family Hmm. kind of morphs and um it's just a very interesting it's a little bit of a mystery and um yeah i had had no idea i had no idea beth moore uh wrote fiction i think this was maybe one of her first like whole novels i know she's written i think stories but i think this novel was her first Hmm. interesting and i got it at the library the local library yes nice nice (laughs) All right, well, hey, let's kind of go ahead and jump into, um, obviously, we've kind of talked about uh, the power of reading already um, and kind of how it facilitates um, growth in both of us as individuals. But let's kind of jump into, um, you know, someone has a child that was just born. Okay. how does reading to that newborn, how does that impact their development? Okay. Um, and you can even go back before the womb. Um, children in the womb hear voices, they hear music. Um, you know, it's in that little wave of mm-hmm. um, fluid, but they still hear and respond. Um, but at birth, you know, um, just children learn to reading is a direct flow out of our language process you have to be able to hear and after a child hears they learn to speak and after you learn to speak and listen then you can learn your language and you can learn to read so if there's any area that's not working if we're not hearing well and we don't get our speech sounds down reading is going to be really really hard for us so as parents if you're talking to that child singing to that child reading, you know, playing patty cake, rhymes are very important um, to help that developing brain try to put all the stimulus together and make sense of it. Um, Of course, infants are not going to be looking at any type of symbolism. They may look at colors on the page. They may look at black and white things. Um, But the reading to them is is helping develop their language at that time and developing Mm. that there's 
these words that I'm saying mean things. Yeah. And, and we're going to put those together to mean bigger things. And, you know, you can start just sing-songing and doing inflections and um, all those kinds of now, things we, with the babies. When we originally talked about you coming on for the Bridge podcast, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about how adolescence mm-hmm. is the second period in the life of an individual where they have this exponential growth. But right. the most uh, time period where right. a human being grows exponentially right. is between the ages of zero months mm-hmm. to three months. It's huge. Yeah. It's Why huge. is that? Tell us. Um, your cells are just developing so rapidly okay. at that point in time. You know, you look at the rest of your body and like people that have had a child will be like, okay, I put this outfit on yesterday. Today it doesn't fit. I mean, they literally do grow their outward little bodies are growing and their brain is growing that quickly because the cell development and replication of that is just constant. It's just constant. Um, I can remember washing garments of my daughters and then by the time I got back around wearing she couldn't wear them. You're like, really? It's like two days ago. So does the, does the change in the cells of the Mm -hmm. human being and just all that growth, is that why repetition Mm -hmm. is, Super important. It is. It helps build pathways for the neurons. Okay. And when you build pathways for the neurons, then things are settling into your memory, and then they're easier to find and retrieve. You know, it's like if you take a piece of paper and you put it in a file cabinet, that's going to be easier to find than if you just threw it in the room somewhere. And so you've got to build those pathways in the brain to make connections, and children just thrive with connections. They like patterns and connections. That's how their little young brains work. So when they're little, they will ask you to read the same book over 550 times. They like books that have repetitive words. They like books that have rhythms in them. They like books that are somewhat interactive that they can, you know, maybe there's gonna be a word every time in the page that they can then learn to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just all is a lot of that underlying process that needs to be in place before you can step into the actual reading. Can we tell us, uh, just in your personal life, how how you uh, used repetition with your daughter? Right. Um, one of the things that I did with her, and I guess if you're looking at those really young babies, is um, you know when you're singing their lullabies to them at night, or you're rocking them and trying to calm them. Um, and I would have three or four key songs that I would sing every night, many, many times, some of them. Um, Also, just even as you're going about your day, um, telling the child what they're doing. I'm going to put your pajamas on you. We're going to put your feet in your pajamas, you know, and going through their little Mm -hmm. body parts with them. And um, just anything, they've got to hear it over and over and over again to get it to sink. Now, when we um, originally talked, you mm-hmm. you mentioned about lullabies. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell everyone mm-hmm. a little bit about Well, about I that? think for, um, I think it's a great, at this age, you have complete control over the content that your child is um, given. And so you want to expose them to a variety of things, but this is also a really good time to start planting a lot of those seeds for your faith. And for my own child, I sang to her. Her lullabies were um, Away in the Manger and Silent Night and Jesus Loves Me. And, you know, she heard those words from the time she came home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Jesus Loves Me. She's heard that for 20 years. So I think it's just an opportune time for parents, even if they're, you know, two or three or four. They'll listen to you sing. They don't care, you know, if you can't hear your tune. They don't care if you're squeaking. They do not care. Um, they like to hear their mama sing yeah. to them. Um, so it's just a really good time to put that content that you want in there. Um, the really important key elements of the world that you want them to know about. And the thing, uh, just hearing you talk about the lullabies mm-hmm. that you chose to sing to Jason mm-hmm. when she was little. Um, reminds me of Deuteronomy 6 where mm-hmm. it talks about impressing uh, God's truths and his laws on your children and right. talking about them when they're lying down and mm-hmm. when you're getting up mm-hmm. and when you're at the house and when you're on the road and going from this place to that place and and I think that I mean honestly that's why I kind of want to talk about 
creative dreaming right. and how Absolutely. reading to your children Absolutely. allows their imagination to take mm-hmm. off in different directions. It does. And reaffirming God's truths when that happens Absolutely. is huge. Absolutely. So um, I was trying to think through how can parents mm-hmm. take this truth that you've mentioned about how repetition is huge from birth to age five right um and incorporating that into just daily life and so i'm thinking okay bath time like Mm -hmm. that's a natural thing that you have to do with your kids anyways uh what is a way that like maybe some strategies that parents can use bath time to implement some of this reading and right um creative dreaming with their children sure. and impressing God's truths on them. Right. I think bath time is just, that's just precious time that you just have alone with your child. You know, very few things are going to draw you away. You're not going to leave your child in a bathtub mm-hmm. and go do something else. So they have your full attention. You have their full attention. Um, that is a perfect time. Parents are busy these days. Um, there's a lot going on and they have a lot of responsibilities and many people don't live in situations where they have a lot of help anymore. Um, you know, we just kind of grew up and there were relatives or neighbors or so, you know, and the world's just kind of spread out mm-hmm. a little bit more. So bath time is an ideal time to pick up those books, read to your kids. Um, you know, librarians close your ears, but it's okay <laughs> if a book gets bent <laughs> or wet or scribbled in. It really is okay. It means it's been used. Right. Love your books. Yeah. Love, love, love your books. Um, so bath time is a great time to read to your children. You can do songs. You can do, you know, little finger plays. You could act out. You know, give them their little people and let them act out the stories with you. But that's just if you can't find any other time of the day to read to your child, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of captive well, right did, then. Didn't you mention that JC had like a, a play whale or uh-huh, something? She did. She had a little whale and it was, um, you know, I think it was more developed for science things, but because you could pour out of it and it had a little spout and great things. So, but we could use that whale as a direct key into Jonah and the whale. Jonah. Oh, here's a whale. This reminds ah, me of bingo. Jonah and the whale. Yeah. You know, really anything that you can do, you can look at shapes and colors and they have all those little things that you can scribble on your tub tile with. And, you know, you can talk about God's creation. You can talk about how God made the rain. You can talk about, you know, where does water come from? Mm-hmm. And and children, when you start hitting about that two or three age, everything's why anyway. So, you know, why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Turn those why questions into, you know, because God created it yeah. that way. Because you don't know why the sky's blue. The sky's blue because God made it blue. So go with that. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're only two or three. They're not looking for a deep answer anyway. Right, they right. don't care about, you know, how the light bounces off of the, <laughs> the gases. And, yeah. and that's what makes it yeah. blue. No, just, you know, God made the sky yeah. blue. And, and I, I think what's huge is from the, that very early on stage in their life, you are teaching them how to see their physical world right. Through the lens of God and God's truths Mm -hmm. in Scripture. Right. So, love it. Perfect. All right, let's go ahead and jump to um, what you defined as, this is after Mm -hmm. age five. Sure. Kind of entering into beginning readers. Absolutely. Um, Tell us a little bit about this stage of life and reading. You're moving out of, when they're little, you're doing a lot of exposure, just getting them all kinds of different content, showing them there's a big world out there. When they come about the age of six, seven, maybe eight, and it's gonna depend on your child, don't freak out. If somebody has a child that's reading at four and your child's not getting it till seven, everybody's a little bit different. And um, especially our young men sometimes just don't really wanna stop playing to read, and that's okay, you keep reading to them. You know, if they see you reading mm-hmm. and you're getting it in them, you know, it's like you said, you're a little bit of a reluctant reader. That's fine. You know, let the teachers deal with that. If you're a homeschooling mom and you've got a reluctant reader, well, we will pray for you. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't have another helper. Uh-huh. I get another yeah. homeschool mom maybe yeah. to teach them. Um, but this is where they're really starting to develop their interest. And they want some control a little bit, especially when they get, I can read this book. You know, and then they're like, this is power. And even if it's 
you know, a six page book. They are on top of the world because they can read this little six page book. And now they just really think they need to start making big decisions about things. So this is a time where you can start helping them, you know, develop their interest. What would you like to read? What are you interested in reading? Some, I have little boys that will come off. Sometimes they will almost always pick out the book about snakes or the one about the frogs or the one about, you know, monster trucks. So, you know, don't just limit it to, you know, fiction and cute little fun things have some of those those nonfiction books that are real and kind of watch your child and see what they're picking out. Um, they're gonna do, they really gain a lot through read alouds, so continue to read to them okay. at this age. Let them read books that are at their level to read. Then pick out something that's a little bit harder that they can't read yet and you read that to them. If you're always reading a little bit higher than what they can read independently, they're getting great language, they're getting great content, they're getting a good model of this is what reading should sound like, this is what reading looks like, and just by a parent picking up a book and reading, it says to them, this is an important thing in our life. Now, um, I'm kind of going to mm -hmm. take a step backwards here, but in between, so kind of, I know the line's fuzzy here, because yeah. yeah. it's different it depending is. on the child, but um, okay, between that age four, five, and beginning mm -hmm. readers, does does it make a difference at all if you just take your kid to the library and they don't know how to read at all, mm -hmm. but you give them permission to choose their books? Sure. I mean, you know they can't read. Absolutely. But, but you choosing the read, book off right. of the cover. And you can read it to them. And there's probably something that interests them in that cover. Okay. They either like the color, they like the picture on it, they like the way the letters are. And you can ask them, why'd you pick that book? What made you think about that book? They'll tell you. It might be the goofiest thing in the world. But then you're learning what their interests are. Um, and then you can read that book to them. And they may decide when they get into it they didn't like it. Or they may just like that book because it's the right size. I like you know? that. So, like, as the parent or the caregiver, mm -hmm. when you ask them about, you know, the cover or, hey, sure. why did you pick that book? You're actually tapping into their, their mind and their, and their interest. Yeah. And you're inviting them to dream. Absolutely. You're inviting them to Absolutely. dream and to, why'd you pick the book? And Tell validating me. that. Oh, that's, yeah. you know, that's interesting. And you don't have to say everything's great or wonderful, but, you know, just tell me why. Yeah. And children want to tell you. They just, especially this, this you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, boy, they just want to tell you everything about what they know and, and why they like it that way. And, and it helps a lot of times for you as a parent. I mean, you've raised them, but you've missed things. Mm -hmm. um, because they don't always tell you what's going on in their little heads. And so, you know, you, I will just ask the kids sometimes when I see them in the hallway, why did you pick that book? You know, and you just never know what they're going to say. <laughs> so we're kind of talking about a little, giving the child, the beginning reader, some freedom mm -hmm. in choosing what mm -hmm. they're reading, That's what they're exposing mm -hmm. themselves to. Mm -hmm. How do you as the caregiver mm -hmm. uh, monitor that? Right. I think that probably at that early I don't know, six, seven, eight-year-olds, it's probably a lot easier to monitor because they're probably with you or they're with another adult. Generally, they're not taking themselves to get materials you wouldn't want them to have at that age. Now, you may have a device that they can get on and find things, which, you know, parent locks and parent codes. Um, but I think if they pick out something and you're a little nervous about it, I think you could ask to read it first by yourself. You know, okay. mom would like to just look at this book a minute. And, you know, I don't know, act like you have to go to the bathroom or something. Of course, yeah, good luck if you go by yourself. That'd be wonderful. But, you know, just just kind of not putting them down. You don't want to squelch, you know, that, that love of, wow, this is really special to me. But if you feel like it might not be something you want them to have, then you read through it first, you know. And then if you still feel like it's not something you want them to have, you could read maybe a page of it together. And then as you come to that thing that worries you, you could say, now let's talk about this right here a minute. And I wanna tell you why I'm kind of worried about this. Or I'm gonna tell you why this doesn't go with the way that we think about things. Generally, I'm gonna say until you get up into second grade or higher, 95% of the children's picture type books that you pick out are gonna be safe. Um, there's not a lot of weird, bizarre content at that age. Okay. Now, there are some that are a little bit out there, um, but you really almost have to look specifically for those books. They're not necessarily 
what Scholastic would be selling or, you know, even Amazon, you might have to look at like a specialty type company or something. Um, and some books, most children's books, if they have some kind of an agenda, it's usually hidden so well, the kids can't pick it out. Adults might be able to, okay. but a lot of times children just read it because the little guy was cute, you know, <laughs> yes. and, and that's all they read into it. That's all they read into it. Um, so I would just say, you know, read it yourself um, and, you know, then kind of walk through it. When those kids are older, you're going to get a lot more of that. They're going to want to read something that you don't want them to read. They just are going to. Now, I um, obviously with me being a pastor, um, I tend to find myself uh, in the Christian community sure. most of the time. Um, and there are times where I have seen where parents, I would say, out of the name of protecting their child sure. and monitor, monitoring what they're reading, um, they end up sheltering their child. Absolutely. Um, and and in, a, in a way, mm -hmm. it does kind of kill some of that dreaming. Sure. Um, because they're now, like, they lose the skill of knowing right. how to see the physical world in their everyday life and seeing God's truth in that. So I guess where I'm getting at here is how, if I am a Christian parent, mm -hmm. how can I still read a non-Christian book sure. to my child right. but still validate God's truths through the reading right. process? You know, I think the great thing about God's truths is that they are everywhere. And generally, you don't have to look real hard to find them. Um, I, I think when I was listening to you, Cody, the first thing that came to my mind, and as I was thinking about all this, is, you know, we are told consistently throughout the Bible, many, many, many times, beginning with our dear Mary, the mother of Jesus, to fear not. Hmm. And, and I think we have to trust there are icky, ugly things in this world. At some point in your life, unfortunately, your child's going to, see some of it you know whatever it is um and i think as a parent you've got to give them the skill to know the difference and if you keep them and show them only one side of the piece of paper they don't know what the difference is do you know does that yeah, make sense yeah, yeah yeah um you've got to teach them both sides of the paper and then you've got to teach them that the one side of the paper is the one that we really 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 like this side of the paper <laughs> yeah. and this is why and it's good and um you know i was thinking what I would probably do is if your child is just dead set on reading this book and you don't want them to read it together, sit with them and read it together. Um, and then pick a book that, you know, and, and you can knit out and go, this is not one of God's truths and I don't want this in your brain. And that's why I don't, I mean, they're going to have, you're, it's like when they touch the stove, they're going to do it. Right. They're going to touch the stove to learn it's hot. There's nothing you can do to stop that. They're probably, I would rather have them read a book I don't want them to read with me to guide them through it mm -hmm. than I would have them read that with their friend behind the school Absolutely. building with yep. no guidance yep. to walk them through yep. it. You can't take some things out of their mind once they're there, but you can guide that. Well, then, you know, I mean, you can say, Here, this is why we don't do this, yeah. this is why I don't like this, and um, and then try to find a book that might be similar to it. Some children want to read that book because that's the popular book that their friends are all reading. Or they just like that genre. I love horror movies and horror books. I do. <laughs> and so what I've discovered is, you know, there are some Christian authors who write some pretty good stuff out there. Um, I'm thinking Ted Decker and, um, oh, I can't even think of the other guy who I like so much. But, you know, so if you see that your child's finding this interest area and you feel like if that interest area culturally is going to lead down a dark path, mm -hmm. then help them to find that interest area in a less dark path. Okay. And it's out there. There's tons of stuff out there these days. So I would suggest that. I would say, you know, you might find it might be painful, but you may have to wade through one book with them and then really seriously talk about why this is dark and why we And you can talk about how it makes you feel because... A lot of those dark things where you know that Satan hides and he wants to trap you in there, 
but most kids have a pretty high little thing that's going I should not be doing this and I'm feeling weird about it mm-hmm. and if you're reading with them you can say to them you know how's your heart feeling about that right now and they'll tell you I don't I think this is kind of feeling weird no, like I, a place I shouldn't be I don't mean to put you on the spot but yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and ask okay. um, can you think of any picture books mm-hmm. that aren't maybe in the Christian mm-hmm. genre but sure. have some redemptive messages that would open up some good conversations sure, like this with sure. beginning readers? Yeah. You know, one of the my favorite ones that my niece read was called I'll Love You Forever. Um, and it's about a little baby that's born. And the mother throughout the story sings a song, I'll love you forever, my baby you'll be. And it's just a sweet little song. Well, she goes through this whole man's life crawling in his window and rocking him in his bed. Oh. <laughs> you know, like when she's a baby. And then and then it talks about when he's a little boy, she'll sneak across the floor and look over at him. And when he's just sound asleep, she'll pick him up and rock him and put him back in his bed. And she does it when he's in college. And he grows up and gets married. And she sneaks in his house and sings his lullabies. And, and so it goes through this whole um, thing about this mother loving this son. And then the mother gets very ill at the end. And so the young man goes and gets his mother and holds her and rocks her Mm -hmm. and it is the sweetest thing and says nothing about you know any type of faith or but it is a book about love it's about family it's about you know caring your entire life yeah um being there for somebody and walking with them through their paths can easily weave into that discussion with your child things from scripture sure you can yeah can you think of any like maybe early chapter books Mm mm-hmm Oh, let me think. You know, there are um, there are several series of early chapter books, and I'm thinking um, Junie B. Jones comes to my mind. And Junie B. is a little girl that's in first grade and just has the most amazing, fun, hysterical things go on. But there's always a little bit of a message about, you know, like maybe there was some kind of a thing where we thought this was going to be a prank, and then we figure out that maybe that wasn't the right way to do it, and so now we've become kind friends instead of you know every story has got something where there's a silliness that maybe goes too far and then you can come back but you know most of the children's books have got friendship type things in them they have got um, family things in them they've got um, you know just helping helping is a big thing in those early years helping and kindness and those are almost in I always liked um, I'm a little nervous to mention this because mm-hmm. I have no idea if it yeah. even fits into this conversation. <laughs> um, but I always like boxcar children. Yeah, yeah. Is that even still a thing? Yes, is it is. The, boxcar okay. children, and there's um, the Magic Treehouse books, okay. and which really the Magic Treehouse books aren't black magic. I know a lot of people are afraid of that word, but it is um, a little treehouse that this boy and girl go into, and then it like travels them to different points okay. in time, and they like have these missions that they have to solve. Like, they'll go in the treehouse, and then the next thing you know, they're in Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, they have to do this thing. Okay. But, um, so, you know, but it also opens up that world of what's true and what's not. Is yeah. it really true? Can you really go into a tree, and then you're in Egypt? No, that's not true. Oh, that I love happen. that. You yeah. know, so it lets you teach your children about what's fantasy, reality, yeah. what is truthful, what are things that are, you know, you know, nature. Oh, man. Yeah. And then, and I'm just thinking right now, being in student ministry, one of the things that I've learned with social media is we have lost the skill to discern how we communicate online and right. whether someone is joking right. and it's true or right. not true versus truth and all this stuff. So I love that. Right. That's actually really well. Good. And it, you know, I think when you go back to the whole part of the dreaming. You know, we want our children to dream. We want them to be innovative. We want them to be creative and curious. So that means as parents, they might tippy-toe into some content mm-hmm. that you're not real happy about. Um, but you have to kind of look at that with a grain of salt, and you have to back up, and you have to say, okay, is this really something that's dangerous for my child? And definitely there are some things out there that are dangerous for your child that are doors you do not want to open. Or is it simply your personal preference and bias that you don't want them reading that? And you have to kind of just really think about that, um, you know, and not fearing and asking God to help you not yeah. to be afraid. Yeah. Um, because we want them to be able to problem solve in order to problem solve and live in the in the world and help non-believers. They got to know what they're dealing with. And if it's dangerous, 
that's a perfect opportunity for you as a parent to that's dangerous to live in that like you as a parent live in the tension with them right to teach them how to have courage in the midst of danger so that when they leave you when they're 18 or whatever they know that no matter what they face Mm -hmm. They can have courage right. that is God-given Absolutely. and can live out that Christian faith no matter what right. they face. Absolutely. And those conversations can start early in life. Abs- so. Oh, yeah, they can start. All right, so let's talk yeah. about um, later okay. in reading development. Mm-hmm. So what kind of grades right. are we talking about here? Um, I would say from about third, fourth, fifth grade, um, most children are reading pretty strongly by then. Again, some kids are just late reading bloomers. And for some children, reading is not the avenue by which they learn the best. Most kids, yes, can pick up a book and read, and this is a good way that they learn and dream and and their brains grow. Some children are auditory-based, and they're going to learn better if you read that book to them than if they read it themselves. So if you've got a child that's really a reluctant reader, keep reading to them to expand and expose their world and help them develop their interests. But once they hit, um, you know, those upper elementary grades, they're gonna want a lot of control over what they're reading. And um, I think at that point you just guide and coach and, you know, maybe help them pick Mm. good books against bad books, you know, and you may have to just read a couple books, find two books that are similar and compare them. Okay, what'd you think about this one? What'd you think about this one? You know, did you feel like one of these kind of talked about God's truths more? Did you think like one of these, you know, maybe didn't? Which is a good skill to have too. You need to be able to look at two pieces and say, yeah, these were the same this way. These were not the same this way. I prefer this one because. Now, we just got out of the Christmas season. Mm -hmm. And at this stage of life, this is where toys start to get a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where they start showing interest in the technology. so I got a couple of things that are come to my mind in regards to technology. Okay. How can we use technology to empower and be a positive sure. influence in this reading development, mm-hmm. dreaming development right. of children? Um, there are so many wonderful things, um, either I, whatever type of a device you might have, whether it be a computer, a tablet, a phone, there are websites, there are apps, there, and there are a lot of free things. The nice thing about children's literature is that a lot of it is free, and there are free sites where you can download books that can read to the children. Um, there are books that will actually highlight each word as it reads it so that the children can kind of follow with the bouncing ball. Um, there are books that have um, interactive things for the little ones that you can get on a page and as you touch things it like opens or pops or makes a noise or those kinds of things so they can be in fact my daughter says that she prefers to read on a device See, I'm I prefer so opposite. to hold the book yeah I love the and book. I think that has a lot to do just with personality types um, I like I even at work our boss is trying to get us to use less paper so I'm trying to read more uh-huh. things online I do not retain it as well if I read it through that screen. If I hold that paper in my hands for Mm -hmm. some reason, but I also like to mark things up when I'm reading them. (laughs) So I think that's it. Um, But so use the technology again as a tool uh, and look for, you know, there is a site um, that you can download. I know all kinds of, I know Amazon and Kindle and there are even some third parties that will have free books. They'll have 99 cent books. So you're not talking about a lot of investment. Most public libraries these days have a digital library also that you can access and download, and many of them have children's things as well as adult things that Mm. you can download into your device for two weeks, Um, you know, kind of like you rent it. Um, So technology is a great tool. Now, in your, I know in your world Mm -hmm. of education, um, across this whole country, Mm -hmm. um, maybe it was started in the urban settings five plus years ago, but it's at least getting to the more rural areas where technology is now available to every student. Mm -hmm. And we want to put that iPad or device in their hands. And even when you look at like people's home lives, Mm -hmm. when the parents are busy, maybe cooking dinner or something, they allow their kid to sit on the couch and watch that TV. And now we've gotten to the point where technology is always Everywhere. around us. It is. 
to where we are now starting to see some negative things Absolutely. with it. Um, so can you speak into um, what are some of the negative things that you have seen because of technology okay. to kind of put some safeguards up for parents? I think for the age of children that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, which is seven and under, um, we are seeing an impact on fine motor skills. Children have very weak fine motor skills because they're not, it doesn't take a lot to swipe a page that does not develop your hand muscles. Um, we are seeing an inability to attend to something that's not exciting and as fun and wonderful as exciting as we try to make school be. Mm. Sometimes we cannot compete with a video that's moving every five seconds and making loud sounds. And so we're seeing children struggling with, you know, not being mean, not being, I don't want to do it, literally just cannot, this is not interesting to me and I don't know what to do about yeah. it. Um, and so we do, we spend a lot of time working on building some of those social skills. And at our age, we have um, tablets in every classroom. They are used very limitedly. The teachers control what is on those tablets and they control the amount of time that they're used. Um, 90% of it is for reading, listening to reading. Um, we have actually some even little handwriting apps where they can practice writing their letters and things properly. Maybe a few math games here and there. That's about the extent of it. Um, we don't open up any type of the children are not allowed just to randomly search for whatever they might want to find anywhere. Um, everything's locked down pretty tight at our age. But I think that parents need to think about that. It is nice when your child is sitting and, and it buys you 15 minutes of time over here to mm -hmm. get this thing done. Um, but you need to balance that out and make sure that their brain is not just wanting that, you know, and it's like I said, it can become an addiction for children that that and they will tantrum to get mm -hmm. it and they will get mad when you take it away from them at school and that's not their fault and so we just try to you know well let's do this this is kind of fun you know and get involved in other things I had a conversation uh, with someone um, not I mean they're in central Illinois but not connected to anywhere in the community that I'm from and they are a they are a family who admitted that they were always frustrated with their local school mm -hmm. district. Yeah. Um, felt like their local school district was never meeting the needs of their children. Okay. Um, they, through giving it a shot and just all their frustrations, they decided that they would homeschool. Okay. Uh, this mother told me that she has gained such a deep appreciation for teachers because she now knows what it's like. And, and I must say, she is doing homeschooling very well. Sure. Um, she, she's doing a great job at it. But it's a lot of work to do that. It's a lot of work. And then when you are someone that <laughs> is in a four-wall room with 30-plus children... Mm -hmm. I mean, she knows that there's a, mm. a, so many uh, struggles and challenges with that. Mm -hmm. And she is one of the first people um, in her area to, to defend teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and I know in your role, mm -hmm. um, you have very similar challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so my question, I guess, is what is something that you wish parents of children that are seven mm -hmm. and below. Sure. Um, what is something that you wish they would understand? Okay. I think understand that people become teachers because they do love children. And they also have a responsibility to move your child from A to B. Most teachers who've done it for any time at all know what that progression needs to look like. I have kindergarten teachers who've taught kindergarten for 25 years, and they know what those kindergartners should be doing in January. They can tell you in August, in January we need to be doing this. In February we need to be here. So they have a progression and they know. And so 
try not to take whatever experience you had at school and assume that's what's happening in your child's classroom. Because I can tell you that in the past five years, education doesn't look anything like it did five years ago. I mean, the world and so parents were in so school much. 20 years ago. And it's hard for them to understand, you know, we the push is really on children's interests, children's individuality, but we still have to get them from point A to point B in nine months. It has got to be done. Mm -hmm. And so, you you know, just try to remember that. And we're taking 20 of them from point A to point B, not just yours. That's good. <laughs> you yeah, know, good. so, and, and, you know, I would urge any parents if, you know, number one, remember our verse, we're going to fear not. Um, if you're worried about something, ask if you can go for a little visit. Yeah. Most teachers would be glad they're going to make you work while you're there. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You're not going to go in and sit in the back and watch the classroom. You're going to be busy. <laughs> um, you know, okay. At least in my grade level, yeah. there's nobody sitting around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, go and ask, hey, can I watch, you know, how your reading group does or how you do this? And most teachers would love to have the parents because it is, it amazes me at the gift. And I have always believed that God makes teachers to be born. And I have hired a few teachers in the past few years that just were born teachers. It is who they are. They don't even have to think about mm -hmm. it. They just can automatically, you know, it's just a skill set that That's they good. have. That's good. And, um, you know, so I think with parents, as you're teaching your kids to read and to dream, eventually it's going to turn into a career path somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, but you don't know what that career path is. God does, but he doesn't tell you. Yeah. Okay. He did not tell me when my daughter was born, this is what she's going to be. Oh, no, no. That would just be far too simple. So, you know, I think God likes to just yeah. be funny sometimes. And he's just going to give you that baby. But he's not <laughs> going to tell you anything about it. You just yeah. go see what you can do with that baby. I know the plan. Well, and that that takes me to what, I, what we discussed before recording mm -hmm. today was... You know, I kind of developed this passion for wanting to bring you in to talk about the power of dreaming yeah. in kids because I have just seen how at the early stage of life, we ask kids, you know, what do you want to do when you grow be? up? And they say fire, firemen or policemen or professional basketball mm -hmm. player or teacher mm -hmm. or something like that. And... We love when they answer that question. We giggle. We let them play princess and play with their trucks and the building blocks. And then as they progress and get older, it's almost like we end up killing the dreaming process to where, you know, we start asking them questions and we're looking for quote unquote realistic answers. Right. And we kill the dreaming process in their minds and then they get to the point where they have to start thinking about with what college they want to go to, what they really do want to do. You know, they need we expect them to know that in the first 18 years of their life yeah. and do that for the next 50. <laughs> That's right. um, and today, now that I'm working in student ministry, um, there's so many young people that have no they idea. They and know. it ends up looking like a lot of student loans yes. it looks like the kid is still a son or daughter still living at home with mm -hmm. mom and dad and mom and dad are frustrated because uh, they've asked their child to go find a full-time job and the kid says that well i have but still nothing's coming up mm -hmm. and they're so indecisive mm -hmm. and i look at literacy and where we're at today mm -hmm. And we are at an all-time low. We are. And I think there's it's a very complex mm -hmm. reason for that that we don't have time to get into mm -hmm. today. Whole another podcast right. episode for that. <laughs> but um, I just really wanted to open up a discussion on the power of dreaming. Right. And allowing Absolutely. your kid to dream. Allow mm -hmm. your teenager in junior high, allow them Absolutely. to still have, have big dreams. Dream. Big dreams. Allow them to have big dreams when they're in mm -hmm. high school. Right. So that they can become those innovators that you want sure. them to be when they're off on their own. And that mm -hmm. they have this courage that is God-given to where they can live out their Christian faith Absolutely. and know how God made them, what, mm -hmm. what gifts he's given them, and to use them to um, 
bring his kingdom here, I guess. Absolutely. And allow a big God to, to do big things through them. big things through through Absolutely. Your kids. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And and I know parents want to be realistic and you know, no, everybody's not gonna be a professional basketball player. But I think if you help them broaden that world, which I think this whole discussion's kind of been about is make their world bigger. Yeah. Um okay, there are a lot of so let's think about a professional basketball player. Okay. Well they play in an arena in a city somewhere usually and so how many jobs is that well that's like that opens up like now a whole thousand different types Uh of jobs involved in just the basketball game itself you know maybe it's not the basketball playing that they want Mm -hmm. to be maybe they just like that whole you know so well maybe you'd like to work at the arena maybe you'd like to be you know sports trainer maybe you'd like to sew their costumes I don't know I mean there are just thousands of jobs that are related to what a basketball player does. And so I think as parents, when we start feeling that like, well, I know he's not going to do that, you know, and well, I'd heard a, um, I love the Dallas Cowboys and Troy Aikman was doing an interview one day and he said, you know, my daughter was practicing and, and I told her I thought she needed to be practicing a little bit better. And she said, Dad, I'm not going to be a professional athlete. And he was like, well, no joke, because you won't even do it. The coach <laughs> told you to. You know, he's like, yeah, I know that because you you won't do these things that are necessary. But that doesn't mean that you can't do something that's right next to what that basketball player's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know what they are. But I think if we can give parents the tools to say... I know my child probably isn't going to do this, but what other jobs are in that bubble that they could do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my husband's uncles worked for Caterpillar. Now, he didn't build the machines. The man's job was whenever they would have people from the corporate come in, he had to entertain them. So he spent his whole entire career taking people to ball games and restaurants well, hey, and plays. And like, now you wouldn't think I work for Caterpillar. He was in, you know, he was entertaining mm-hmm. these people. And I'm like, what a job. You just don't even think about those things. I want that job. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I would say help your kids, you know, figure out what's in that bigger bubble around yeah. that. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Well, before we close, okay. I have a standard last question okay. that I ask everybody. What is a question you wish others would ask mm-hmm. you that you have never been asked before? And this has... No, well, this has a lot to do with creativity and dreaming. Okay. It has nothing to do with my profession. Okay. Um, because I really thought, I was like, man, I've been under the gun all week thinking, what am I going <laughs> um, The question that I came up with, Cody, is, and I think that this is something that you could ask anybody, because it's a great conversation starter, and it really gives you insight into that person. Boy, you're really setting this up. If, um, as you're reading your Bible stories... And you're reading about all these biblical characters. If you could go back and enter into one of those stories at that point, who would you want to be? Wow. That is pretty good. Okay. You thought about that one, I didn't have, you? I did, yeah. So who would you want to be? I would want to be Noah's wife. Wow. <laughs> and do you know I why? I was not expecting because that one. I love animals see not besides just children mm-hmm. god put this ridiculous love for animals in my heart and um every time an animal breaks my heart i remind him that he's the one that put this on me but um so i'm just like can you imagine being on that ark with all those animals i just think that'd be the best thing ever i don't want to be the one that had to build ark and i'm be no one. <laughs> okay. no one go through all that but i thought you know noah's wife just got to go in there and feed those animals for a year and watch the little baby animals the, be born. Did she have to pick like, up the pieces? How fun is that? Well, throw it out the pieces? window. You're in an ocean, should, for heaven's sake. All right, sake. I guess, I guess. You know? I, <laughs> I'm glad okay. you love animals. I do. My, so, Emily, my wife, she loves animals. Yeah. So that's who I would want to be as Noah's right. wife. Um, you know, you really have me thinking about that question. Okay. And I am, I, I would want to be Nehemiah. Okay, because? I love the story of Nehemiah. <laughs> It's just biblical Christian leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 
what does that look like? Yeah. And there's so many good principles yeah. that can come from that. Well, from and that it story. makes people think a tiny bit deeper. You know, we're back to that dreaming and creativity because mm-hmm. I texted that to my mom. I'm like, this is the question. <laughs> and she's like, well, you'd want to be Jesus, of course. I'm like, no, you're uh... over. No, no, no. You know, and then she's like, Mary. And I'm like, no. You know, I'm like, think, think not. You know, like, okay, you can't be one of these eight people. You know, take take the upper echelon there out and, and think about... I'm, I said, Mom, think about somebody that, like, you could actually really be, okay? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like... Like, a little more realistic, kind of, like, with your life plan and, yeah. like, where could I plunk down into? So. That's good. Well, hey, thanks for um, coming on and kind of encouraging us when it comes to reading and, and what that does to children and helps them in that dreaming process and, and helping them develop into that person that God created them to be. Um, for someone who's not a parent yet, um, I did learn a few things in this uh, conversation. So thanks for coming in. Um, it was really intriguing. You really have my, my, my thoughts are stirring. Yeah, it was really good. So, all right, well, hey everyone, thanks for listening. Um, so glad you tuned in to episode three of the Bridge Podcast. Uh, you are listening to Beth Wickenhauser, who is a uh, education professional um, in um, the local schools in Central Illinois, and uh, just was sharing some thoughts on um, you know child development and how reading. Uh, helps foster that gift of dreaming in children that um, you know we all desire as we get older and so um, I hope that you were able to get a little little nugget of information or maybe some encouragement as to something that you can do when it comes to impressing God's truths on your children through the practice of reading um, that said we hope that you will tune in again for episode four that will be released on April 1st. See you then, friends.